Welcome to the Rock of Grace Cortland Campus Podcast, where we aim to lead people like you to follow Jesus together. We have a new podcast each week with a message that is prepared with you in mind. So here's this week's message. This is our last week of diving into the the series of stories you heard wrong. I've been loving this because you visit so many of the stories that we've grown up. If you've grown up in church, you've heard these stories. They're not new to you. But remember, we're talking about like if you only heard the VeggieTales version, if you only had the My First Bible version, you're missing details of these stories. It's not that they're wrong, but that they're not getting the whole big picture. We talked about Noah, we talked about Samson, and today one of my favorite stories, maybe it's one of your favorite stories, maybe it's only because it's the only one we really know like so easily, and it's David and Goliath. How many guys are familiar with this story? And if you're not, it's okay, because we're going to talk about it today. We're going to dive right in David and Goliath. Now, to set things up, David at this point was already anointed to be king. He was anointed at this point, but he had yet to be appointed to the seat. I can't imagine that. I don't know what your level of patience is, but it really requires patience. Imagine being told, you're going to be king. It's kind of like everybody's favorite movie about a cartoon lion where I just can't wait to be king. And he jumped right in. And David humbly approached with this entire thing. See, now he's in a season of life where he must show honor to the king before him. David was anointed, but not yet appointed. Two weeks ago, we talked about the covenant that God made with Noah, the covenant of providence. And the same covenant continues to step and to cover over David's entire life. Because David walked into this. Remember, providence is when God is providing the needs of his people. Because of that anointing, David was covered with that great care and that same great protection. And we have that same thing. When we claim to know Christ and we walk daily in him, we are walking in that same covenant. We talk about that when we see the rainbow, that is the covenant of providence. And we can know that God has all things worked out for our good and for his good. Not our good, his good. And I can choose to walk in that providence. I can choose to take those steps. So we're going to pick up this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. And it says, The Philistines gathered their forces for war in Saka in Judah and camped between Saka and Azekah in the Ephraim's Damim. Those are all fun words. You can go home and practice them. (laughs) Saul and the men of Israel gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites, the Israelites, they were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall, and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. Some of you are like, I wish I weighed 125 pounds. Some of you do weigh 125 pounds. See, there was bronze armor on him, on his shins, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders, and his spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear, the point of the spear, weighed 15 pounds alone. Makes you think how much did the rest of the spear have to weigh in order to support 15 pounds of a sturdy spear head. 
And in addition, the shield bearer was walking in front of him. And he stood and he shouted to the Israelite battle formations, why do you come out to line up in battle formation? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. And if he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. So there is so much there to unpack. There are so many things, so many customs that were challenged. Things that were taken for granted in warfare were put to the wayside. But then we see in this last verse, this is the first thing I'm going to point out, is that Saul and the Israelites were terrified. And we're reminded of something here. The leader sets the tone. The leader sets the tone for those who follow. If the leader is timid, what are the followers going to be? Timid. If the leader is confident, what are the followers going to be? confident. Can you think of a time in your life where there was time where you're following somebody, maybe it's at work and you're listening to a boss, you're at school and you have a project leader or work or wherever you're at, where the project leader or the person who's leading the situation, their attitude sets the tone for how everything else happens. And this can work in a great way or it can work against you. Now, as we can imagine, Saul, being king, being terrified of this one man who challenged the entire army to a one-on-one duel, was terrified. See, here's the thing. He let the fear get the best of him. Because it was not custom. It was completely against custom for an entire war battle to be waged on a one-on-one battle. And the army could have said, no, we're not doing that. But instead, they cowered in fear and said, we're not going to move. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to hold here and see what happens. Saul, in his strength, could have said something different. He could have said something along the lines of, I'm going to go out and we're just going to fight. We're going to ignore this guy. He's going against what's supposed to happen. And we're going to ignore it. But he didn't because why? He cowered in fear and he set the tone for the Israelites. But this tone had to be set in order for God's anointed to become God's appointed. See, this isn't one of those stories. We typically read a Bible story, and we look for one thing out of it, right? Like, oh, yeah, this story is exactly it. And we we get easy moments, like walking out of the parables. But there's a story like this where we're not going to walk out of today saying here's the one thing to learn from the story of David and Goliath. Because there are, I'm not even going to touch on half of them. That is how many elements we can just dive into. We could touch on this story alone for at least a month. It's absolutely insane. But to focus back on the leader setting the tone, Goliath's armor weighed 125 pounds. His spearhead weighed 15 pounds. 
These are things that armies would know based off of the size. But Goliath walked out wearing nice armor. Things that really showed off who he was and added to the intimidation factor. I mean, it's simple, right? If you watch somebody walk out and it's 125 pounds of rusted armor versus nice, well-kept, intimidating armor, which one's going to make you cower? Not the rusty. You say, this guy can't even take care of his armor. How is he going to take care of this battle? So Goliath walked out in strength, in confidence, in arrogance, in pride, and said, here I am. But you got to think about this a little bit more. He was nine, he was over nine feet tall, nine foot nine. The bigger you are, your voice also goes with it. You know, it wasn't a giant with an Alvin and the Chipmunks voice. He wasn't saying, all right, guys, we're going to fight today. Woohoo! He stepped up and had to have a deep voice. Big man, all these things, nine foot tall. If his stature was intimidating, I guarantee you his voice had to have been intimidating. Why? Because that's just how this thing works. You've never seen a massive person with the pipsqueak sounding voice. If you have, I'd love to hear that, but I know that's an anomaly. But physically, big person, big deep voice, intimidating, all the right things to wear, walking out and saying, I'm challenging everything about you, including who you are. Wager everything on this one battle. Because Goliath was asking Saul and the army to do one thing that nobody was ever willing to do in battle. Why would you wager an entire war on one man? You wouldn't. But Goliath's fear and intimidation caused the Israelite army to cower and say, okay. During this time, during this 40 days and during this war, David would go back and forth between Saul and his home. You find this later on in that chapter. Because during this time, Saul was battling his own things. He was having his own battle internally. He was dealing with a lot of internal struggles. And David, with his heart, went and played music for the king to help calm his spirit. So David was seeing this off and on. He would go to the battlefields, he would calm the king, he would go back. And then when the king would go back to his place where he said, I need help again, in a place where he wasn't able to think straight or clear, he would call for David. So imagine going back and forth from a place of stability to instability, a place of clarity to lack of clarity. David was going back and forth, faithfully doing all of these things. And see, David had three brothers that were there. They were older than him, and they were there on the front lines. And eventually, he was told, bring some food to your brothers. And he gets there, he carries the food, and he gives the food to somebody there, and he goes out to the battle lines. Just imagine this for a second. David, the youngest of the brothers, a shepherd, brings food to his brothers, gives it with somebody else, and then goes to the front of the battle lines to ask his brothers, how are you doing? He literally went to the front of the battle lines to say, how are you guys doing? I don't know about you, but that sounds like a really dumb idea to me. Why 
You know, like, I really want to know how they're doing. I know my dad asked me to ask and see how they're doing. But can't you wait till they're back from the front of the battle lines? Like, listen, a battle's about to happen. Now, hold up, guys. I need to ask my brothers, how are you guys doing? Do you need help? Do you have enough food? So he left that food there with the quartermaster, and he goes up and he does this. And while David is there, Goliath then steps out with this challenge. And he issues the same decree that he's made 40 times in the morning and 40 times in the evening. This guy did it twice a day for 40 days. And the Israelite army just stayed there. And they waited. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25, it says, Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The kings will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of the man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. How many guys would be like, all right, I'm okay not paying taxes? Right? We all could use a little bit of extra for something and go out to dinner today after church instead with it. That's incentive. Saul was so afraid that he started to provide an incentive, saying, please, I just need one person to go, and if you do this, I'll give you this in return. When you get to a place of bartering like that, you are not in a good place. When Saul's fear crippled the Israelites, it prevented them from even seeing a bribery as something of a good opportunity. Because to them, it looked like a death sentence. And for all intents and purposes, it really was. I don't know about you, but I don't want to fight somebody who's 9-9 with armor and a sword. I don't want to fight anybody, really, but that one particular. So David started asking questions about Goliath. And he was talking smack about him when he was finding things out. You know, he said, who is this, uncircum Philist who's this uncircumcised Philistine and challenging the armies of the living God? Like, he's both trying to, like, belittle this guy, putting him in his place, but also showing the Israelites who they are. He said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that is challenging the army of the living God? You are the army of the living God, and you are cowering in fear from a man who does not follow him. David wasn't just asking questions, but he was pointing things out. He was leading from behind. He was leading from a place that God had him in at that moment. Because remember, he was his anointed, but he was not yet appointed to the kingship. And David was told about what is promised for the man who defeated Goliath. And David's brothers got mad at David because they were, he was asking questions. They said, what are you, arrogant? Why are you asking these things? Go home. You're not doing this. But David was brought then before Saul. And here's what he said in verse 32. He said, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now, I want to unpack this, this verse for a moment. He is speaking with authority to the person who is in authority over him. In confidence, in boldness, that only comes from God. He was saying, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. David was challenging Saul to see the potential that was in front of him. But then David humbles himself immediately after 
and refers to himself as your servant. He went to Saul with authority, but a covering of humility. And he said, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Just because there's something that's happening that you're not sure what to do, just because there's somebody who has authority and you're not sure what it is, you can speak life, you can encourage a person who is over you, you can encourage the person who has authority in something that you do not, and you could do so with either arrogance or humility. And it's your choice. David saw the need, and he saw who was the person who was able to make this happen. And he went to him, and what did he do? He encouraged him. But then here's the other thing. Here's one of my favorite things. David didn't just present a problem. He came with the solution, and he was part of the solution. It's so easy to point out problems, right? But it's a lot harder to point out problems and say, I'm going to actively be a part of the solution. David went to him. He's my kind of person. said, here's the problem, but I'll be part of the solution. I'm going to make this happen. I, your servant, will go and fight this Philistine. Takes confidence to do this. But you know what? David was told no. If you know how the story ends, you know that eventually this no became yes. We talked about no's and yes's last week. But David was told no due to his age. But then here he is, and he's talking about his past victories. He's talking about the time where he was defeating lions and bears who were attacking his flock. And he said, the same God that protected me from lions and from bears will protect me from this giant. So Saul gave David his blessing to go into battle. And he offered David his armor. So David showed him, saying, listen, I can do this. Here's where I've been. Because there's no greater testimony of what you can do than what you have done. Builds confidence, right? And God gave David those experiences for this moment that he could build on it. And Saul gave David his blessing. But when he was offered the armor, David said, no, thank you. He said, I'm not used to fighting in these things. If I fight in this, I will die. I will lose. Allow me to choose. I don't need yours. But let me go with how I've been prepared. So here, David now knows who he is. How often do we see something we want to do or see something we feel like we need to be doing and we're stuck trying to be somebody else? We're we're stuck trying to meet somebody else's expectation, going about it the way that they are wanting to do. But meanwhile, David is setting an example for us that says, just because you're giving me this tool and that's not who I am, you don't have to compromise your identity in Christ in order to accomplish the mission that he has planned for you. Do not compromise your identity. Do not compromise the uniqueness that God has given you to accomplish a mission because somebody else says this is who you must be in order to do this. You must dress a certain way, act, talk, act a certain way, talk a certain way, think a certain way, believe, and the list can go on. Do not compromise your identity in Christ to fulfill the mission Christ has given you. I can't think of a better example of that than in this moment of this story. Because David chose 
to fight the way he was familiar with. And he chose five smooth stones in his sling. Five smooth stones in his sling. Now, this is actually not as far-fetched as it sounds. See, David wasn't the only person who fought in battle with slings. There's actually, and you hear about this in Scripture, it's in Judges chapter 20, verse 16. It says, there were 700 fit young men who were left-handed among all these troops, and all could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I can't make it six feet, and these people are hitting hairs. Like, <laughs> I can't even imagine. So David wasn't doing something that was never seen before, but he was going about it in a way that he knew how, that God prepared him for and gave him the opportunity to do this. So he gets those five smooth stones and the sling to fight with. And then David and Goliath got closer. Goliath got mad. He was disgusted. He despised David because of who he was, his stature, his age. There was a clear difference. It'd be like fighting somebody a quarter of your size. Seems pretty unfair, doesn't it? In verses 43 and 44, chapter 17... Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you came against me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his gods. And he said, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and of the wild beasts. Goliath knew exactly what he was going to do with David when he defeated him. And it was not pretty. Goliath had a plan. It wasn't just to defeat him in battle. It was to make a mockery out of him. He had an intent plan on how he was going to mutilate David as a message to the Israelites to not mess with me, to cower in fear as you have. This is who you're messing with. Goliath walked in full of pride, confidence that turned into arrogance. Goliath was brutal. We pick up in verse 45. And it says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. I'm going to pause right there. Remember going back to the earlier scripture, he literally, Goliath outright said, I defy you. I defy your God. So David, one, showing here that he paid attention to Goliath. And now he's using his words and soon his actions against him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it's not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. David flipped the script on Goliath. He said, all those things you said you're going to do to me, I'm going to do it not just to you, but to your entire people, because you defied God. See, there is a confidence that can only come from the Lord. When there's a giant standing in your way and you don't know any other way out of it, 
There's a confidence that comes from the Lord with what he has called us to do. And David continues to give us an example after example after example of what it means to walk confidently, walk boldly in knowing the steps that God has ordained in front of me. There's a confidence that is only found in the Lord. See, when there's a giant in your way, though, you don't have to face it alone. David didn't face Goliath alone. He walked so confidently, God was with him. And he knew it, and he acted upon it. And he went into battle knowing this. And then David here claims this entire battle for the Lord. And he does it prophetically. We look at this, and we don't really realize that this is a prophetic moment. But David is literally saying, God will deliver you to us. The battle is yet to happen. And for all, you know, you're sitting there and you're watching this happen. You're not suspecting David's going to win this. It was a prophetic moment where David said, God is getting this victory. He didn't claim it for himself. He didn't say, I'm going to defeat you. He said, this victory, this battle belongs to the Lord. He did it with honor. The complete opposite of Goliath. He did this with arrogance. Moving on to verse 48. It says, When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. Put his hand in the bag. Now imagine this. I'm going to pause. David is doing this swiftly, moving. Because when there's a nine foot nine giant charging at you, you don't move slow. At least that's, you know, you'll see. So David, moving quickly, moves forward, puts his hand in the bag, takes out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on the forehead. And we often see this picture. In, you know, picture Bibles, I've got a lot of them now with having, you know, almost a one-year-old at home. And it's just David perfectly arched, standing there, just, just going and going and going. That'll make a great gift later. And uh, he goes and he takes it, but David's not standing still. There's this dude running after him with the sword, 125 pounds of armor and a 15-pound spearhead. And David's running at him, and he grabs it out of his bag and goes and slings it in a swift motion. Whew. I would have loved to see that. Like, that is a lot better, like the first battle, like what we remember from growing up. Sounds great. But this sounds even better. Like, this guy's just moving like one swift action. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. And David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David over overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. But then David ran over, and he stood over him, and he grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry. 
and chased the Philistines through the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn along the Sharim, the road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. You know the part where veggie tails cut off. And it wasn't at the head. David didn't stop simply because the battle was over, because the battle was won. He sealed the deal and made sure that this would never happen again. This was David's finishing move. He took Goliath's sword out of its sheath and used it against him. The battle was clearly over at this point. But David didn't stop for the short-term victory. He didn't settle for the short-term, what was right in front of him. He went for the head. He went for the long-term victory in the name of Jesus because he already called this and he already said, here's what's going to happen. And he's continuing to act on it. He didn't back down from what he said, what he acted on by God saying, here's what you're going to do. He didn't turn and change his mind after he used Goliath's words against him. David was a man of his word. And he did it in the name of the Lord. And the Philistines, they were strewn about. Goliath's head was then taken to Jerusalem. First off, that's gross. Can we just get that out of the way? We know that. But then he takes the head of a giant. I can't even imagine how big that head had to be. But he gets there, and he gets to Jerusalem. And here's what we don't really understand if you just look at the story this way. See, Jerusalem at this time was under control by the Jebusites. They were holding what was called the stronghold of Zion, which is now Jerusalem. And the head was taken there as a sign of intimidation. Because Jerusalem was not under the control of the people of God. That adds a lot more to this story, right? Because it's not just he just took the head of Jerusalem, like, all right, that's weird. It went as a sign saying, listen, this is our city. This is the city of God. And you'll actually hear about this later. You go on and you continue to read 1 Samuel. I'm not going to ruin it for you. But you go on and you see what happened with the stronghold of Zion, what happened with the Jebusites. And David and the army of the Lord claimed the city back in his name. And that moment, that head began to just show and set the framework for what was going to happen. Because I don't know about you, if somebody came to my house with a head cut off and said, listen, I'd be listening. I'd be intimidated. But then David kept that sword for himself. And later on, we do hear what happens with the sword. And we find that later on, the sword of Goliath is found behind the ephod in the tabernacle. And I'll let you guys read that, but that's continued later on in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is such an exciting, exciting book to read. See, the battle ended there, but everything that was felt from it went on for so much longer. It set the groundwork for a shepherd who should have no authority, who should have no reason why all these army men 
All these soldiers, all these people and officials should listen to him, gave him that reason, or gave them that reason to look at him. And it was God appointed, because at this point, God anointed him to be king, but it was paving the way for him to be appointed. David had to be obedient along the journey in order to fulfill God's will for him. Psalm 64, verse 8, talks about what it means for God's protection from evildoers. And this, this captures what happened with Goliath very well. And said, then everyone will fear and will tell about God's work, for they will understand what he has done. David wrote this, by the way. Goliath's words were used against him. But if you go on to verse 9, it says, then everyone will fear and will tell about God's work, for they will understand. I think we had the wrong one up there before. So it says, 64 verse 8 says, they will be made to stumble. Their own tongues work against them. All who see them will shake their head. Then we move on to verse 9. It says, then everyone will fear and will tell about God's work, for they will understand what he has done. Tim, if you throw some music on in the background. See, David's actions, they get to a point where they foreshadow Jesus' triumph to come. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 15, it says, He disarmed the rulers, he being Jesus, and authorities, and disgraced them publicly, and he triumphed over them in him. David's actions here set him up to be part of that lineage for Jesus. And his moment of doing all these things continued to lay the groundwork for Jesus to come. Imagine what would have happened if this battle didn't happen. There was a lot more weighing on this battle than what we first see. This battle was a turning point for David. took the head. He went to the Jebusites. He kept the sword. We later hear about the sword in 1 Samuel 21. When we hear the story, you may remember most of it. You may know all of it if you're a Bible reader. But there's so much more than what is on that surface. There's so much more that comes out of this than just 1 Samuel chapter 17. And like I said, this isn't one of those stories where you read it and you pull out that one thing. The thing that stuck with you may have not been the thing that stuck with the person you came with or the person sitting behind you, in front of you, or next to you. But here's just a few of the things that we can pull from this. And you probably heard more than just what I'm about to point out. See, maybe you're struggling right now with a lack of satisfaction for what you read or hear, even on a Sunday morning. Because I can only talk about so much up here. This is why it's important that we grow in our faith. And we're reminded that a chapter in the Bible doesn't tell the whole story. A service doesn't make a well-rounded believer. And that David's story began well before this and ended well after this chapter. 
Why is there a far more complex of a story? Because this is an account of what actually happened. This isn't a story that was made to make somebody feel good. This isn't a story that was thought up by somebody to say, here's what you can pull out of the story. There's so many complexities because this is a true account of what happened. This wasn't happening for all of us to say, yep, these are the two points I need to get from this story one day for it to be written down in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you're struggling with, thank God there has to be more. Let this story serve as an example that there is more. But we have to spend time in our word. We have to spend time knowing who God is, reading the word that he has given us. Because if we just read the book, we read the chapter as is, we're going to miss out on incredible details. But maybe you're struggling with humility in the room. There's a lot of talk about humility in this. And a lot on the opposite side with arrogance. See, David displayed humility in a place where he could have and should have been proud. David could have taken that battle and claimed it in his name. But he preemptively and prophetically said, this is the Lord's battle. If you're struggling with humility, reread this story when you go home and learn from David's example of what it means to put those in authority before him and over him, even if he felt, hey, I know what to do, to bow, to submit, to move, to act in humility. Maybe you're struggling with the wholeness of your faith. Let this story encourage you as David acted out of the wholeness of his faith. David saw what was happening and he knew how God could move. And he didn't waver. If you're saying, I need to grow in this, I need to grow in this confidence, I need to grow in my faith, let this story hold as a testimony to wherever you are saying, I need to act boldly like David did. I need to walk confidently knowing that God is here. Maybe you're struggling with identity. Maybe you felt like David could have felt when Saul said, here's my armor, wear my armor, this is how you're going to do this. And David said, no, I'm going to do this the way I know how. I'm going to do this the way that God has prepared me. I want to do this in a way that is true to who God made me to be. Maybe you're in this room right now and you're struggling with that. Saying, I don't know who I am in Christ, or I've been rejecting who I am in Christ, or I've been battling this because I'm trying to be somebody else that I'm seeing online, maybe it's on Instagram, TikTok, or wherever it is, but saying, you don't have to be that person. Be who God made you to be. And walk in that confidence. For this month, if I could direct this in one direction, the stories of Noah, the stories of Samson, the stories of David. Let me summarize it this way. I can be obedient to God. If Noah wasn't obedient to God, we would not be here. Because of Noah's obedience, humanity was not wiped. Then we flipped the script and we looked at Samson, who really struggled with obedience because of his pride. But God still provided a way for him to be obedient, even in his disobedience. 
and the prophecy that was placed upon Samson's life still came to fruition. And then David walked in obedience, knowing what God was asking him to do. And the result goes a lot longer than 1 Samuel chapter 17. Obedience isn't for the weak. It's for those who walk in the strength of the Lord, confident in who he is, and for the humble who allow God to move through them. Obedience isn't blind, but it's a choice. It's not saying we don't think. It's not saying we don't ask God, where are you going with this? But it's choosing to say, God, today I'm submitting to follow your will and not mine. I'm choosing to put you first. If David wasn't obedient, we wouldn't have the rest of this story. We wouldn't have many of the things. We wouldn't have some of the books we have in the Bible. When we know God's will, we can choose to follow it. That's obedience. It's not a control. It's not a power. It's saying, God, I see what you want me to do, and I'm going to say yes to it. Because you are God. And because you are good. I want to pray a prayer of blessing to close out this, this series. Because we touched on far too many things to say, hey, we're going to pray over this one thing. But my prayer is, the thing that's stuck, the part that you heard that's speaking to you, how God is maybe already speaking to you now, but you don't just leave it here in your chair, you don't just leave it in this walls, this building, but you take it home. You take it in your conversation with your, your friends, your spouse, your kids. And you don't let the conversation end today, but you make it a continual prayer with God. Holy Spirit, I ask that right now you anoint each person in this room, that they can experience you and your wholeness this week, and this conversation going home today. That wherever they are, God, if there's somebody in this room who's struggling with a lack of satisfaction for who you are and the word that you have given us, that you allow them to find that satisfaction. You allow them to find your wholeness and your goodness in your word and the testimony of others. God, for those that are in this room and we're struggling with humility, that you allow us to find ourselves in a place where we can wholly give ourselves to you. For those in this room who are struggling with the wholeness of their faith, God, that you make it so evident, that you make it so clear who you are and the trust that can be found upon you. For those that are struggling with identity, that your goodness, your mercy can show them the identity that you have formed within them, who you have called them to be. those struggling with saying yes to your will, God, that we ask that you continue to make it obvious what you have called each one of us to do, that you allow us to see your hand at work in our lives, that you allow each person here to hold true to your word. God, we ask that you bless us in these things so that we can bless you in return.
that we can bless you with bringing this community to come to know you, that we can bless you in ways that we can't even fathom, but that are overwhelming of your goodness, your glory, your mercies, and your grace. And you bless each person in this room to walk in that grace confidently and and in humility. Watch over us until we come back to worship you together as a family. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. I don't know what you pulled out from that, but I know that God has moved, and I know that God can continue to do that. Guys, we are so excited to continue to worship with you guys. Just a reminder, if you've not been baptized, I know we said this earlier, but September 19th, we're having our first ever baptism right here at this campus location. If you have yet to be baptized, you're not sure exactly what that looks like, come find myself, Pastor David, Jeremiah in the back, and we would love to get you guys plugged in. You guys have a very good Sunday afternoon. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. If this message impacted you or you would like to get in contact with us, you can visit us at www.rockofgrace.org. Also, be sure to share this message with a friend or subscribe so you never miss a message. God bless.